This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chetka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. It's estimated that approximately 70% of Americans are either overweight or obese. Obesity in the United States is a major health issue, resulting in an increased risk of coronary artery disease, type 2 diabetes, stroke, and it also carries significant economic costs. As a result, the diet industry is booming. It's thought that the weight loss industry has over a $20 billion annual revenue. While some diets are legitimate, others are not only ineffective, but maybe actually dangerous to one's health. To help us sort out diets and weight loss, we're joined by Dr. Donald Hensrud, a Mayo Clinic physician in preventive medicine and an expert in nutrition. He's also the medical director of the Mayo Clinic Healthy Living Program here in Rochester and editor-in-chief of two books on dieting, The Mayo Clinic Diet and The Mayo Clinic Diabetes Diet. And Don, you may be interested to know that you're the only guest we've had on our show two times. So um, we've listened to our listeners. Actually, both of them asked if you could come back. <laughs> and uh, we are very pleased to have you back. So thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you, Daryl. Why is obesity such a major problem in the United States? Why are so many individuals overweight? Uh, in the 1970s, weight started to really take off in this country. And there isn't one specific reason. You can't tie it down. It's a product of both genetics and environment. It's been estimated that 30 to 40% of, of weight, uh, the variance in weight, is related to genetics. But obviously, the environment has a strong component there. It's not totally the environment, though. People say, well, our genes haven't changed in the past 40 or 50 years. Therefore, it must be the environment that's responsible. A good way to look at this is we all have a, not all, but most of us have a genetic predisposition on top of a permissive environment that allows weight gain. So, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago, the person who could eat the most and do the least activity is the one who survived throughout most, most of our history. Our inner brain still thinks like that. We, eating has a survival advantage, and we try and take the shortcut. But with the environment the way it is now, we've engineered physical activity out of our lives, and food is everywhere for most people, and it's changed. So you really have to go against the grain to manage weight uh, in, the, in this, this country and around the world these days. Hmm. Okay. Now, if an individual restricts their caloric intake, does the human body respond to that by reducing its metabolic rate in order to burn fewer calories? It, it does. And again, it has a survival advantage. If somebody is starving, the body senses this and it lowers its metabolic rate. Up until recently, we thought that this was always reversible. In other words, if you restrict your calories, your metabolic rate will slow. And if you go back to eating a few more calories, then it'll increase. And for most people, that's true. However, a couple of years ago, they followed up on people who were in The Biggest Loser, and they lost a lot of weight. In those people, there was a sustained depression of metabolic rate that didn't return back to normal. And so it kind of... Uh, promoted weight gain in these people. However, for most people, if we modestly restrict our activities, we can lose weight and we don't experience that d sustained depression in metabolic rate that can make it even more difficult to lose weight. 
can exercise help prevent that reduction in metabolic rate or how because that would really impair one's ability to uh, to lose weight yeah one thing that can help is spreading the calories out so sometimes we'll see people who are eating one meal a day and then their body does go into that starvation response and their metabolic rate will decrease so spreading calories out not overly restricting calories, but to a modest level. And exercise can certainly burn more calories. It may not change metabolic rate that much, but it will help to burn overall calories and help to manage weight. So frequent smaller meals throughout the day instead of fewer, sm uh, fewer larger ones. In general, that's true, although certainly total calories uh, are the major factor, but if you, for the same amount of calories, if you spread them out during the day, that'll prevent that uh, depression in metabolic rate. Okay. Is there an optimal rate of weight loss that we should strive for in a diet? Well, people want to lose weight. They want to lose it quickly by tomorrow, and, and uh, that's human nature. We understand that. Initially, people will lose weight more quickly because some of it is water weight, and this is especially true on a low-carb diet. And that's because carbohydrates are stored as glycogen in the body. As we burn up our glycogen stores, which contain water, we'll lose weight quickly. Long term, however, in order to lose one pound of fat, you have to burn 3,500 calories more than what you take in. That's the amount of calories in a pound of fat. And it's a little bit more complicated than this, but that's, this is kind of a simple way to look at it. So to lose one pound of fat in a week, you've got to burn that many more calories than what you take in. You divide that up over seven days, that's a calorie deficit of 500 calories a day just to lose a pound a week of fat. That's why we generally aim for slow one to two pounds of weight loss a week. Uh, it's slower, but it's more likely to be fat, and it's more likely to stay off if people approach it in a, in a, in a slow, steady manner rather than try and lose it all at once because that's... Uh, more likely to put it right back on again. Mm -hmm. Well, I've known many individuals who have been very successful in losing weight, but you see them a year later and their weight appears to have come right back. Uh, so which is, more which is it more difficult to do, to lose the weight or to keep the weight off? Y you alluded to that. It's, it's, you know, it's not as hard to lose it as, as it is to keep it off long term. People sometimes look at weight loss as two different phases. In other words, weight loss and then maintaining it. And they think, well, if I can just lose the weight, I'll be able to maintain it. In actual fact, you should look at it as one continuous phase. The same lifestyle habits that will keep the weight off will help you to lose it initially. So there isn't a, a, a turning point where you change from weight loss to weight maintenance. Instead, people should look at it as a lifestyle change. When people go on a diet, that implies they're going to go off a diet. And they go back usually to habits from before, and that's why the weight goes back on. So if you can make start out with lifestyle changes, maybe not uh, conquer world peace in, you know, right away, but start out with slow, gradual weight loss, turn it into a lifestyle change of more activity and, and dietary changes, then it's more likely to stay off long term. So it's almost like alcoholism, except with alcohol, you just stop drinking. Uh, with eating, you can't just stop eating. That's exactly right. And same thing with smoking, too. It's, it's, an, it's all or nothing on right. that. So with e changing diet and eating, and we all have drives to, to eat. We enjoy it. So it's, it can be challenging. You sort of discussed this a little bit, but 
What are the characteristics of diet that are successful in not only losing weight but helping to maintain that weight loss? I've already mentioned that lifestyle changes. And what I mean by lifestyle changes is don't do anything that you know you can't keep up long term. On the other hand, don't underestimate your ability to change. Uh, People can think about changes in their life that they've made and persisted. And that's a good lesson that it is possible. It, there is no one best, one best diet, however. It depends on the individual. Some people may do better with a, a lower-carbohydrate, higher-fat Mediterranean diet. Other people with a, a higher-carbohydrate, lower-fat Asian diet. And that's kind of the beauty of it is we can tailor this to the individual uh, and make it more likely that they'll stick on it long-term. But again, whatever they should do, it shouldn't be overly restrictive, overly negative, because it's going to be temporary. It should be comfortable enough to uh, maintain long-term and the weight will stay off then. Okay. Can you lose weight purely with what you're eating or purely with exercise? Intu- or do you both? Yeah, intuitively I think people know that both are important. What's really interesting is if you look at the different phases of weight that one may be more important than another one. For example, to keep weight off initially to prevent weight gain exercise seems to be a little bit more important than diet. An example here would be an athlete. They're burning a tremendous amount of calories, and therefore they can eat a lot and maintain their weight. When you try and lose weight, again, diet and exercise are both important, but diet seems to be more important than exercise. It's hard to get an energy deficit that is burn many more calories than what you take in through through exercise alone. Studies have shown if you look at just exercise, and just diet at weight loss, diet is more effective. Uh, Again, obviously both are important. Then to maintain that weight loss, exercise again seems to be more important. And we know from people who have lost a lot of weight uh, and kept it off for a long period of time, one of the common features is regular physical activity. One group, the National Weight Control Registry, uh, uh, to get into this, you have to lose 30 pounds and keep it off for a year. Many years ago, there was a publication, and in that publication, these people had lost over 65 pounds and kept it off for five years. So these were the the green berets of weight loss. And a common feature was that they exercised on a regular basis, usually an hour a day, but walking was the primary form of exercise. So you don't have to go through, uh, train for a marathon or the Olympics to get the benefits, but regular physical activity will help you to both keep it off initially, keep it off after you lose it, Diet is obviously important, and that's most important in, in weight loss itself. Okay. Keeping up to date in our field is easier when you can network with colleagues from all specialties. Join us for the 19th Annual Nutrition and Wellness in Health and Disease Conference held at the Swiss Hotel in Chicago, Illinois, September 23rd and 24th of 2019. This and all Mayo Clinic CME are found at ce.mayo.edu. Well, let's, let's change the topic a little bit to fad diets. Now, this is a personal interest of mine. Um, I'm currently working on weight loss, and I'm down 16 pounds. I'm halfway to my goal. Congratulations. And, uh, thank you. And I've been uh, researching diets, and I found this one from Germany on uh, all kielbasa diet, and uh, looked looked tempting, 
but I actually settled on a one that's a little bit more uh, more reasonable, I think. But what makes fad diets popular? You know, what are the characteristics of these? Because they tend to be around for a few years and then they they kind of fade away. Yeah, first of all, this is a very challenging problem. If it were easy, you know, we wouldn't be in the situation we are. So we have a difficult problem. People want a quick fix. They want to believe in something, and they all sound very good. So uh, it's a setup for for uh, things that may not uh, really work the best long term. Uh, common features of fad diets, they're easy. They promise effortless weight loss. Some of them don't... Uh, uh, correspond with the physiology that you and I learned in medical school. Uh, and you're right, they're usually here today and gone tomorrow, especially some of the more uh, difficult ones. In talks that I've given, I have some slides on popular fad diets uh, in previous years, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and some of them you won't recognize because they are here today and gone tomorrow. Some of them have stuck around for a while, but um, it's not the best way to do it. It's usually people will gain it back again. And most importantly, their health may not improve depending on how uh, bad the diet is. Well, let's talk about some uh, reasonably healthy diets. Tell us about the Mediterranean diet. The Mediterranean diet's been around, obviously, for hundreds of years in the Mediterranean. Uh, it's a little bit of a higher-fat diet, not extreme high-fat, but uh, the major fat in the Mediterranean is olive oil. In one study some years ago, they looked at uh, Crete uh, in Greece, which they followed a Mediterranean diet. 25% of their calories came from olive oil at that time. So it's a, a relatively high-fat diet. But again, in traditional Mediterranean societies, people were doing a lot of physical activities so they could burn it off. It's also a very healthy diet, uh, comprised mainly of plant products. There isn't one Mediterranean diet, too. People talk about the Mediterranean diet. There's features of the Mediterranean diet that are, that are common, but there are actually 20 countries that border the Mediterranean, and each of them has their own variation on a theme. But they're all plant-based, perhaps involve fish because they border the Mediterranean, uh, lots of vegetables, fruits, real food, fermented dairy products, low in meat, and relatively high in olive oil, which is a healthy fat. Mm -hmm. How about the DASH diet? The DASH diet was originally designed for high blood pressure or hypertension. At the time uh, before the DASH diet, which was 30 years ago or so, we knew that there were four lifestyle factors that affected blood pressure. Weight is the strongest factor, exercise, salt intake, and alcohol. At the time the DASH diet was designed, in the stu original studies, they kept those four factors constant and only changed the diet. And they found that when people adopted this DASH diet, that they lowered blood pressure 11.5 millimeters mercury systolic, 5.5 diastolic, and that's as much as single drug therapy just from dietary treatment alone. The diet is comprised, again, mainly of plant products, 8 to 10 servings of fruits and vegetables a day. But one <laughs> thing that people should understand, a serving isn't that big small piece of fruit, half a cup of vegetables. So it isn't as hard as it seems to get in that many servings of fruits and vegetables. Plant-based, uh, relatively low in meat and animal products. Um, and so it's a very healthy diet as well. Although it was designed for hypertension, it has other effects, including helping with weight loss because of the high plant uh, intake. One point is important. There are many different diets out there. There's a Mediterranean diet, the DASH diet, vegetarian diet. Those are all healthy examples of patterns of eating. There's the Mayo Clinic diet. 
the similarities are greater than the differences. There are slight differences, with again, with the Mediterranean diet, olive oil being a major component, but they're all plant-based, comprised of real food and low in animal products. Well, you've been the editor of two Mayo Clinic diet books. Tell us about the Mayo Clinic diet. How does that differ? Well, again, it's, a, it's overall a plant-based diet. We looked at the literature both on weight and on health. Uh, the Mayo Clinic diet is divided up into two phases, lose it and live it. Lose it is a two-week jumpstart phase, and we know people want to lose weight right away. Well, we took some of the things in the medical literature that are associated with weight loss, yet they're healthy and safe, and we throw the kitchen sink at people for two weeks. We tell them to change or ask them to change 15 habits. They add five habits, break five habits, and there are five bonus habits. There's nothing earth-shattering about these. One of them is to eat breakfast, because if you eat breakfast, it's more associated with weight loss. The most difficult habit was no uh, eating while watching TV, and you can only watch as much TV as the amount of time you spend exercising. That, that was challenging for people, but if you think about it, it's taking a sedentary activity, making people more active, and people uh, commonly mindlessly munch while they're watching TV, so it decreases uh, in, uh, intake as well. Another difficult one was no sugar except what's in fruit, and that people realize how much sugar is in different foods. When we put all these habits together, and again, they were all safe, effective, and associated with weight management, people lost, on average, in our pilot uh, study, uh, eight pounds or so over two weeks. Now, that's going to slow down as, as weight continues, but people were empowered. They didn't realize they could make these changes and, and uh, get the weight off, and uh, it made them feel empowered about this. In the second phase, we take those habits and we turn them into lifestyle changes. So it's not just quick weight loss, but they continue uh, those habits as much as they can, and we give them additional information. A real key to the Mayo Clinic diet is something called energy density. If you think about it, what determines how much you eat isn't calories. You don't say, I've, I've had 500 calories and now I'm full. It's the volume or weight of food that you eat. So if you can eat foods that are higher in bulk and volume and lower in calories, you can get satisfied and, and better manage your weight. So we emphasize literally all the fresher frozen fruits and vegetables that people want to eat. It's been shown that people who eat a lot of vegetables and fruit over time tend to weigh less. And it's also healthy too. It's been shown that fruits and vegetables, believe it or not, are associated with decreased overall mortality, which is a pretty important outcome long term. So to illustrate this, there's the same amount of calories in one and a third sticks of butter, a small amount of food, as there is in 10 or 11 heads of lettuce or 35 cups of green beans. Now, no one is going to eat 35 cups of green beans. You couldn't do it. But people aren't going to overdose on green beans either. You can eat till you're satisfied. It's healthy and watch your ca- it'll watch your calorie intake and better manage weight. Excellent. Well, I practice aerobic eating, so maybe I can write a separate chapter in your next textbook. <laughs> Let's talk about one of the more popular, uh, I guess you could call them a fad <laughs> diet. It's a combination of low-carbohydrate, high-protein diet, and it's actually promoting the development of ketosis. Uh, how does that work, and is that healthy? Low-carb diets have been around for a while, um, and there are various forms of them. It started kind of with the Atkins diet years ago. 
the keto diet is the latest uh, low-carb diet. When you don't eat much carbohydrate, and this is not much at all, less than 50 grams a day, which is a very low amount, your body will go into ketosis, and it'll, a number of things happen. It'll decrease appetite, insulin levels will, will lower, and so there are various things that may help with weight management. One of the most important is carbohydrates usually comprise 50 to 65% of our calories. If you're not eating much carbohydrate, you're going to be eating less calories, and that's probably the major effect of weight uh, of a, of a low-carb diet on, on weight. There are some issues, however. A recent study just looked at carbohydrate intake related to health long-term. And what it found was it looked at very low-carb, high-fat diets, high-carb, low-fat diets. The sweet spot for mortality, and this was both in the United States and around the world, seemed to be at a moderate carbohydrate intake. So on the Mayo Clinic diet, for example, we're, we're uh, concerned both with weight and with health, we don't necessarily go to extremes of carbohydrate and fat, but what we emphasize are eat healthy carbs and healthy fats. So focus on uh, whole grain carbs, such as brown rice, oatmeal, uh, whole grain pasta, whole wheat bread, and healthier fats, such as nuts and olive oil. If you do this, it can be a very palatable diet. You can manage weight, improve your health, and you don't go to, have to go to extremes. Okay. What about the commercial diets that are available? Uh, these diets where they supply the food that you need to eat each day, uh, what's their long-term success with those? We have some data on some of the commercial programs, and they're not uh, too bad depending on how people follow them. If you have someone deliver your meals, you know exactly what you're eating, and you know exactly how many calories you're eating. And that's the same with meal replacements as well. Uh, and so the advantage is you know the calories, there's no guesswork involved, and that can help manage weight. Uh, again, it's an option for people who prefer that. Uh, it's also a time saver in some situations. Um, so it really depends on how people use it, and there are many, many different types of, of programs out there. And again, I'd encourage people to uh, in get involved in something that's both healthy and can be sustainable long-term. Now, finally, what about the individual who travels a great deal and has to eat most of their meals at restaurants? How do they, uh, can they stay on a diet and lose weight on that? Before I answer that, I think it's important that everyone recognize there are literally hundreds of things that influence our habits in diet and physical activity. Um, some are individual, some are the environment. Uh, some people can't pass by a fast food place without stopping in. Our overall physical activity, depending on our job, uh, if we have a desk job. And traveling is one of those challenges that make it more difficult. With all of these challenges, a dietary plan, a weight loss plan should be individualized. It should be healthy. And if people do that, there's a partial solution to almost every challenge. With traveling, for example, I always travel with uh, some nuts and some fruit uh, in my computer case. And that way, I'm not caught having to grab whatever's handy there. Spending a little bit of time uh, looking at options where you're going ahead of time. Or when you go out to eat at restaurants, looking at the menu ahead of time. Uh, thinking about what you're going to have, maybe even having a healthy snack before you go so you're not going to overeat. There are many different tricks and tips that people can do that all add up to uh, better weight management. We've been talking about dieting and weight loss with nutrition expert Dr. Don Hensrud, a Mayo Clinic physician in preventive medicine. 
Don, thanks for sharing your insights with us. Thank you, Daryl. Happy to be here and bon appetit. Thank you for your kind emails and topic suggestions. We invite you to continue to share your thoughts and questions with us at cme at mayo.edu. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.